welcome to season two of the Sober Experiment podcast with Alex and Lisa. Our podcast is for anyone and everyone, whether you're still drinking, thinking about ditching the booze, or you've already quit alcohol for good. Our podcast is raw and still unedited to this day. Join us and our guests for tears, emotion and some hilarious laugh out loud moments. Season two is sponsored by Lunar Holistics. Lunar Holistics offers a wide range of professional home study courses, including counselling, life coaching and NLP. They also offer courses in beauty therapy and for the more spiritual minded of you, they've got courses in tarot, palmistry, astrology and psychic development. So if you've been considering a new career or you want to learn just for fun, no matter where you are in the world, Lunar Holistics will enable you to gain a fully recognised, accredited and insurable qualification and no previous academic qualifications are required. Lunar courses are easy to follow and you can study from home at any time that suits you. We're really excited that Luna has offered to sponsor this season as everything that they do aligns perfectly with our core values. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Are you? Yeah, I am actually. I feel, um, do you know what I did today? I cleaned up the conservatory today, right? And there was a massive spider in there. Oh, I know, and it was massive, and I didn't panic. I put it outside. But for the first time in ages, I had music on. <gasps> I, I honestly, I had music on, and do, I'd forgotten how much music can lift your mood. Don't it really? It what? Doesn't it lift your mood, music? Well, it's so weird that you should say it, right? Because I'm just going to look for this song now to see what it's called. Um, but today in the office... It wasn't a pink song, was it? No, no, it wasn't. Right, there's um, an advert on Facebook and it's a lady dancing. Um, nobody can see me, can this? Because I'm doing these like weird dance moves. But this looks like a tree. <laughs> Well, yeah, to this song, and it's all about movement and exercise and free freeing your body. Anyway, I loved the song that much. I went on the comments to this um, video to try and find out what the song was called. Anyway, I downloaded it, went into work today, and my mum's just told me she's booked the week's dancing course with her. You know, you do it online and yeah. free your body and all that. Anyway, we played the song in the office, and me, my mum and Beth were all like proper dancing to it today. And it was amazing. And my son, who also works with us, were just looking at us like we were absolutely crazy. But you are so right. It lifts your mood. Can I just say what it's called, if anybody wants to see it? It's called Born to Become by Maya Johanna. Just right. in case. Well, I will also plug a song because the reason that I was listening to music is that Lisa and I, when we're recording this, it's the day that Lisa and I were on BBC um, Radio Manchester. Yes. And they had, um, the, one of the songs that they played on there was Keith Urban and Pink, One Too Many. And when I heard it on the radio, I thought, oh, I'm going to put that on. So I got it on YouTube and I was like having a dance to that. And then the Bee Gees, you win again. I was like, yay, let's go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I had a great time. So um, anyway, today's guest is Ben Robinson. Now, if you've listened to our sober sessions, we interviewed Ben quite a while ago now, wasn't it, Lisa? Yeah, it was a good while ago now. 
And because of that interview, we were desperate to get him on our podcast. And I know we're really male heavy this season. It it was kind of an accident and now it's become... I'm not complaining, guys. <laughs> I'm not complaining either. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, Ben's journey, it's... It's a little bit different than anyone else we've had on here because Ben's actually spent time in rehab and detox. So you'll find this really, really interesting and he's lovely. So yeah, let's give this one a listen, guys. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm good. How's sunny London? Well, yeah, little to be desired here. So, yeah. I always talk about the weather. Lisa will tell you, don't I, Lisa? Yeah, she gets hot. It's when she doesn't know what to talk about, Ben. <laughs> so, so at the beginning of a podcast, the easiest thing to say is, so how's the weather? <laughs> really good start. Do, do you know, um, it'll actually be the episode before you. We had Rebecca Weller on, who's the author of A Happier Hour. And right near the end of the podcast, I'd kind of fangirled her that much. Oh yeah! That near the end of the podcast, I kind of lost my train of thought, right? And instead of just kind of going, "Thanks very much for joining us, Bex," and moving on, <laughs> I just got all flustered, stared at Lisa with a really creepy face, right? and it was like for ages. Though it, it was a weird, creepy face. So people who've watched the video will know now where I'm referring to because I kind of turned and did this, like, and then said, "Do you want to ask anything, Lisa?" It's like. No, not really. <laughs> oh dear. It stayed unedited. It did stay unedited. Yeah, they all do because she's lazy. <laughs> as, as we said before. Or am I authentic? Authentic. All about yeah. the authenticity. Yeah, let's find the uh, glass half full in this situation. I'm authentic, not lazy. <laughs> Definitely true, Alex. Right, Ben, let's talk about you. Um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to sobriety? Yeah, so I'm Ben. <laughs> I'm tw- 29 now, 29 now. I keep keep reiterating 28. Um, I've been so... 20 months, nearly 21. So coming up oh, to the two-year mark. Um, it's been a hell of a journey, really, but it's it's one that I'm in every minute of. So ups and downs, but here we are. Um, what got me to sobriety, basically reaching a point where I couldn't mentally or physically function, I think sums it up. Um, I was a very destructive drinker, so I wasn't ever able to abstain or control it kind of just slowly the amounts increased to the point where it was a 24 7 physical addiction um and to be honest the only reason I stopped is because I I think mentally I'd got there but I needed something to push me over the edge and that was the physical bit and I I remember waking up one morning and just trying to drink and my body was just not having it everything that went in came out and I remember sitting there for about three hours trying to drink a bottle of wine (laughs) And it just wasn't happening. And I knew then that, you know, I just, I had to, I physically had to stop then. And I don't think at the time mentally I was ready, but my body was forcing an intervention. So I think my journey has been kind of different in that sense, just because I had such a mental obsession where my mind just wasn't ready. And I ended up going to rehab at 27. Um, I stayed there for four weeks and then extended by four weeks just because I think I needed that time. Um, 
but luckily it's lead me, led me to live the life that I live. And, you know, I have stayed sober off the first try. So I must have had some brain cells in there and done something right. Yeah. You know, when you say you were trying to drink in the, in the day. So like, that's really hard for me to comprehend because when I drank, I just drank, you know, it's just like, Oh, I'll have it. I wanted it. So can you just go into that a little bit about trying to, why were you trying to drink? What was the, the reason behind it? What during the day? Yeah. I mean, I drunk during the day for about four years. Um, the particular time that made me stop was when I, I literally couldn't get it in anymore. So my body was just repulsed by it. But yeah, day drinking was always a thing for me. I, I People always ask me, when did that start? Because I think people have a mindset that, you know, like the term alcoholic, right, is the guy that drinks in the morning. And it's such a stereotype. And it really, yeah. oh, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. Um, yeah, you are, right. <laughs> Before we got excited then, get go, Ben. Put <laughs> some bombs in there. <laughs> um, and it, it, that is the stereotype though, isn't it? It's like, you know, morning drinker and when you see someone with a tinny at 11am, it's like, oh, they're an alcoholic. And it's like, you know, that, that it, okay, yeah, that's probably true. But it's not true for everyone. Um, and, you know, for me, it was just a big part of it. And everyone asked me, when was that point? you started morning drinking because it's almost like that's when they're labeling oh that's when you turn an alcoholic yeah i've been an alcoholic for my whole life it's just that's when it it inevitably took harder control um and i don't know when it was but i know it was at least four or five years that i can remember drinking before work and kind of always drinking off hangovers like i can remember doing that since uni days why don't i I was drinking in the morning um to carry on the party was my excuse but really it was curing a problem um, so yeah, it's always been a thing for me and it's made life, it made addiction very difficult just because it was really hard to hide. And as an addict, that's all you want to do. Um, you know, especially at work and stuff. And I was, you know, I'd go up to the kitchen and pretend to get a coffee, but neck two mugs of the rosé in case anyone came in and holding this, co- it's, it, thinking back, it was madness, but you know, it's what, what I needed to do at the time. So what do you think at that what? time, Ben? Like when when you're going in and you're sneaking it and you're you're trying to hide it from people. I'm just really interested because um, I've spoke about this before. My ex was an alcoholic and he would like sneak drinks and be in absolute denial of it. And it's just something that I can't get my head round because you know you're doing it and when you speak to people that have been in that position they say I knew I was doing it but there's no way that they would tell themselves that they were doing it or that anybody else were doing it so like what's the headspace at that point of of hiding it I mean to be the the first, the first thought is that just I need this, so that overrules everything. Because, but to be honest, it's, it depends. So, I mean, in the height of it, it's like I would drink before I left the house, so I'd have half a bottle of wine that I had left over from the night before, which was literally a routine. I did like you brush your teeth. I had my wine, then I brushed my teeth before I even left the house. But then it's it's weird because then on the tube I'd, I'd have a little flask of vodka that was in a Ribena bottle right and that was my routine so I knew that I had enough to carry me through the morning but the mind met up so if I'm on my own in the kitchen I'm, I'm just doing it and, and to be honest you don't even catch yourself half the time until like I heard a door creak or something and I thought it might be my boss or a colleague then I was like shit what am I doing but until yeah. that point 
you just carry on because every free minute that I'd have was just like, right, how can I get booze in now? And to be honest, sometimes when I knew I'd have enough to function, so I not have the shakes and stuff like that, especially at work, that was an issue. And that happened quite a lot. Um, but when I'd have enough, it almost became a game in my head. It was like, right, how can I sneak more in? Oh, I wonder if I can go have a cigarette and do a gin and tonic in three minutes to, you know, just to play a game with myself. Yeah, yeah. That's what it becomes. But actually, behind it all is a deep, dark addiction. And you almost like your mask, your addiction takes hold of you, manipulates the horrible situation actually in and goes, actually, let's make a big game out of this all the time. And it's a horrible place to be. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult to see it at the time. I guess that's what I was kind of getting at with my first question, really. The, the, the reason you were forcing drink into yourself in the day is to counter any withdrawal symptoms then, because otherwise yeah. people would have known you had a problem, you know. Exactly. And that's what you're trying to defer from the whole time, right, is that I've got a problem. And, I, you know... It wasn't as kind of after uh, my friends had a lot of questions and obviously ex-colleagues and stuff. And they said, well, why didn't you just choose not to do it that day? And it's like, you can't because I couldn't even hold a pen. Like, if, yeah. if the, I mean, towards the end, it was probably about every two hours that I'd have to drink. Um, and it got to the point where, like, if I was going into a long meeting at work... I remember I got caught one time. It's quite, well, no, it wasn't funny, but it kind of is now. <laughs> but um, I got caught out and I was, I've completely forgot about a meeting because I was either to be drunk in the morning and someone said, oh, you come into this planning meeting. It was like three hours long. And I was like, oh God, not because I thought, oh, the meeting. It's because I know that two hours in, I'd have been sweating, shaking, smelling. Oh like, gosh. And I luckily remembered, I was like, oh, I've got these birthday beers. So a week prior, they'd given me a, a box of beer for my birthday. So I had to go into my work locker, get the six beers out, crack them in the disabled toilet and drink them all before I went into this meeting. This is in the middle of a busy office. And it's like, wow. You know, that, that I guess that's what made me drink all the time because I couldn't, I couldn't be seen like that and nor could I face being like that. So. And did nobody pick that up, Ben, in the office? Did nobody say anything? Or, or afterwards, when you've stopped, people said, well, I kind of knew. Or... Yeah, people, I mean, my, my close friends always thought I had a bit of a deep relationship with alcohol. But, stop. I mean, the biggest telltale of drinkers is that you're drunk, aren't you? But at this point, yeah. function. So actually, if I hadn't got boozed in me, they'd have been able to tell. But with, oh it's gosh. a normal kind of bubbly bed. So, you know, I remember one time, they, they, I remember one time I was away with work and someone said, God, are you okay? You look horrific. Like, have you got a cold? Because I was sweating and I was fevering and all the rest of it. And obviously they just thought I had a bit of a cold when actually, you know, I just hadn't had a drink in two hours. So, wow. yeah, I think looking, I, th I think it's weird, isn't it? Because as I t I've interviewed people for my blog and stuff, like my old friends, and when they learned where I was in rehab, it kind of like a, a switch kind of turned for them and they all went, oh, right, right. That, and it's all of a sudden like the last 10 years of our friendship makes sense um, yeah. for them. Because it's like, ah, oh yeah, oh right, yeah, that all makes sense now. So I think that's often the case, you know, either. But in my experience, and you know, I, I've had um, alcohol-dependent people in my family as well, and... You either know there's a problem at the time 
or for sure when they finally realize there's a problem themselves you go ah you know like it's yeah. in place I, I don't think anyone kind of just gets away with doing it and never and nobody ever knows personally i've never found that um, yeah but you're yeah. in denial aren't you oh massively yeah i mean you i still i mean so i've had a therapist through my whole journey from from before i went into rehab and stuff and he he planted the seeds kind of on making that change but i obviously i had to grow them so but even even when I was seeing him, even when, to be honest, when I made the decision to change, I was still in denial. I was kind of like, okay, I'll change because it's what people want me to do. And it's like, I look back now and I'm like, well, obviously people wanted me to, but it was, it was more about me. But my mind was just so controlled. And it's really, we use that word control so much, right, in all these podcasts and stuff that we do. But it's really, really hard, isn't it, for us to describe what that control is actually like. Like people think, oh yeah, I'd go out for a smoke, but I could do without, or oh yeah, I'll just do this because I enjoy it. It's like it's pure control at the darkest level. It, it you have zero, like you have no control because you're so controlled. It's like this. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, hard. so with your therapist, have you been kind of exploring? the reasons behind your drinking is that some work you've been doing with yourself yeah and i think you know i, I still see him now so we're now to well i've seen him for nearly two and a half years now um and it's interesting isn't it because looking back is something that i think a lot of people try to do or they do and i think a lot of people look for the reasons and as a result of that i think a lot of people get annoyed by it and it's something that when I started my journey, I started to get annoyed because I haven't had a bad childhood. I haven't really suffered any severe life traumas. And I, I haven't, you know, I don't have any obvious things that I go, ah, there it is. But, you know, there's little things. And I think part of my journey actually annoyed because I was like, I can't find why this was so that I could remove it or deal with it. And it's like, I think a lot of people have that. And I speak out about this because it almost drove me to be so annoyed that I was like, right, I'm going to do it again to find out what it is. And it's like, hold on a minute. What are you doing? Like <laughs> kind of, we eke in and out of it. And I think a lot of it has to do for me because there's no specific, but like my childhood, I was moved around in six schools in six years. Like I've never really felt settled in my life. And I think the drinking as well with like my work, I never really felt, part of things so I drank to get over that and I never really felt like I settled anywhere and I think that's probably from my childhood so I think little things like that like my dad's brother was an alcoholic so is it gene based I don't know I didn't really ever see him but is, is it gene based I don't know so yeah I've looked but I'm, I'm not allowing myself to kind of get annoyed by that anymore yeah, kind of not just pinning everything on it. Because I think that you hear quite a lot, like you've just said, some people just have no underlying cause. Yeah. But anyone who does have underlying trauma tends to be addicted to something, whether that be work, exercise, coffee, alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, you know, whatever it is. If you've had some form of trauma, they reckon you will end up with some form of addiction. And I, and I guess, I mean, I do quite a lot of... Um, introspection like that because I want to always find reasons Lisa's just like it is what it is let's move on <laughs> very much like why did I do that what was causing that what was the reason and you know when you were just saying a second ago is it genetic well you know 
genetics kind of loads the gun, but it's usually the environment that pulls the trigger. And I read that and it really resonated with me that, yeah, there might be some genes, but usually there's something that changes or happens and it can be subtle that just sets yeah. you down a different path. What I like, yeah. And what I like to say now, how I kind of get over it, because I almost want to be more like Lisa in this and be like, yeah, it was there. It's cool. I'm better now. But I am, my mind works like you, Alex. It's literally like, I, you know, I detail out everything. I'm an absolute stickler for boom, 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 boom. Oh, I'm like, going. I'm not having two of you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't cope with this. <laughs> bring it up. Um, but one thing I learned to think in my head is, you know what? I'm addicted to change, right? So in my addiction, I wanted to change my headspace constantly, whether that be because I was uncomfortable or I needed confidence or I needed that extra boost or whatever I thought booze gave me. I was addicted to the change that that made me have in my head, right? And now it's like, well, I'm addicted to the change that I've made. So it's kind of, I'm, I'm still, it's just a much longer term, you know, addiction, if you will. But it's, it's because I always wanted to change and I always wanted to change my mindset. And now it's like, now I've actually made the right one. It's kind of, I feel comfortable and I'm okay with just believing that that's the change that I really needed. Um, and that kind of settles me a bit because I don't, I don't want to go down a deep, dark hole of, you know, discovery if I don't need to. Because I think also you can pull things out that actually aren't the reason. And you can drive yourself mad with that. I could think, oh, yeah, was it my breakup from six years ago from that girlfriend that I had for two weeks? I don't <laughs> know. You know what I mean? It's probably not that. So it's so true. I, I've done things like that, like tried to go back and nearly, like not being sure whether I'm actually making things up just to like be, I've rang you, haven't I, Alex? Like, right, I think this could have happened, but I'm not sure whether it really did or whether I'm making it up or just looking for like what you said for that for that reason. Go on, Alex. The drama, so I'm going, oh, it might have done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she loves it. She's like, go on, dig deep, go get go get a counselor for this, get one for this. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I'll leave it there. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Ben, what I'd really love to talk to you about, and it's going back a little bit, sorry, but um is rehab and you saying you know like it was the physical addiction really that got you there and the mindset and I know because we've spoke to you before with Sober Dave and what have you about uh, you've got a little bit of of the story of your rehab so I'd love you to share that with us but also about about you changed your mindset because it it's not often that you get somebody whose body needs to stop before the mind does is it I don't know (laughs) I, te- I, th- I think often the body breakdown brings the mindset, right? Because when you're faced with a, like, I know a lot of people who, who basically seize the same that I did and had to be hospitalized, emergency detox, whatever. The difference is that's the point that they made the change, right? Because they, they woke up in hospital and went, oh God, shit. I decided, however, that when I got admitted to hospital, I seized, I, my mum begged me to stop drinking. I stopped drinking when I, when I, so basically I had an intervention. I was in London. My parents came to so my girlfriend at the time, called them and said, he needs to go away. So I was like, no, I'm not going. Anyway, they turned up and I was no better to know. So I was like, right, okay, I'm out. So I went to Nottingham. Mum said, because she didn't know the depth of how much I was drinking. No one did. Um, and I was too naive to know the dangers of just stopping. Yeah. So 
But I just said, why don't we just have a break? Let's go into town, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I seized twice and ended up in hospital. Um, and at that point, like I say, most people go, okay, I'll accept these detox medication, thank you, and I'll go to rehab from hospital. I decided that I would, on the second night of hospital, um, I was in psychosis, so basically from withdrawals, I didn't really know where I was. I was in a hospital room with my mum, but I was basically drawing on the walls because I thought it was a whiteboard and I was in an office full of people. Anyway. Wow. And at that point, when they left, I said to the nurse, I'm going out for a cigarette, and I actually left the hospital ran across a motorway or dual carriageway to get to a spa shop that I Googled on my phone. I picked up a bottle of vodka. I put it in a plastic container, took that in the hospital with me and then put it in my water jug. So little did the hospital staff know that the whole first night I was sitting there with a big jug of vodka just sitting in my hospital wow. bed. And it's like, you know, so that's what I mean by my mind hadn't changed because at that point, you know, the doctor came in and said, Ben, you're 27 and you've seized twice. Like, yeah. and I just ignored it and just while I was in treatment went out and did that and then at the end of the stay they basically said we don't have time to detox you because you're only allowed to be in that care unit for a certain amount on basically self you know caused problems which is fair enough because I had no signs of changing either so you know and um, the first thing I did was leave and went out and sustained reason and bought wine so I did, it then took me two months before another, that, that real physical kind of feeling that I had before I made the change. So even though my body had told me it had given up by literally seizing, I, I, there was no stopping my mind. Um, so that happened. And then two months later, I had the physical breakdown and I went into rehab. Yeah. Um, and at first, yeah, I mean, it was horrible. Like, I mean, it's brilliant now because I'm here, but it was, I it's awful. You literally, I drank all the way there and I was sitting outside in the morning at like 9am and I just cried. Not because, like, not because of what was happening or where I was going to go. It was because I knew my life was about to be over the way that I knew it. Yeah. And it's like everything I knew or everything I knew how to do and everything I believed in at the time which was like this is how I live my life was going to be stripped and I almost just didn't know what was on the other side you know I, I and it wasn't a coming out bit it was like well what do I do tomorrow it's almost like I didn't know what what even to do in the morning or what to do with myself so I finally got in there and after a week's worth of pretty intense withdrawals um then I kind of started to open the door to making that mindset change. Um, and as I say, it, it took seven weeks to do that. Um, and it wasn't easy. And they, you know, they try to look at your past. They look at all these things. You have to write your life story. And actually you find yourself, I think one of the biggest things for me was almost like you find the things that you were looking for for so long, right? You blanked out so much stuff for so long that actually when you were trying in your addiction to go, oh, I'm drinking because I'm sad. You don't actually even know the meaning of sad. Mm. It was when I started to write my life story. And I remember like I was writing it. I just started sobbing about my grandfather's death, about my uncle's death. I started like really like getting angry about stuff that I was writing about how I mistreated people. And I was like, what is this? And it's like, actually, here's the brain and the care coming out. And I remember that point and I was like, you know what? This is what I want to feel like. I don't want to be numb anymore. Um, 
And then from there, it just took a lot of therapy and a lot of kind of talking that stuff out. Um, it's so true. And I think that even, you know, and I'm sure Lisa will agree, I could, even though I've not been where you've been and through what you've been through, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying, like the, the kind of delayed grief from past events. And when you really feel something for what feels like the first time, I mean, we must have felt things as children and as young adults, but to feel something for the first time, it's so painful and so raw. And then when you feel happiness for the first time, it's like, wow, what is this? It's, it's, you, I don't think that if you're drinking, you can actually, I know this is a bold statement to make, actually, I feel a bit guilty, but if you're a drinker, even a moderate drinker, I'm not sure you know what it's like to feel real joy. I don't know. No. I feel I like, you think you do. I feel like it's kind of, in this society that we're living in, and again, it's very generalised, but as soon as we feel something happy, we often celebrate. And you don't actually... The beautiful thing about being happy now is, like, the first thing I actually do is go and spend 10 minutes to myself to just let that sit, and I'm like... And all of a sudden, something of this big is like, oh, yeah, that's really good. Um, whereas before, what would you do? Like, I remember, you know, any situation, at friends, where you win something, it's like, oh, beer's round, woo! It's like all of a sudden that that joy is now dampened. Um, yeah. Straight away, yeah. Yeah. So. Yes, yeah. I've never really looked at it like that before. I think, um, yeah, you've just taught me a little bit of something about <laughs> actions there as well. Um, you know, even thinking back to things like graduation and stuff, the champagne flutes were in the boot. <laughs> you know, like, wow, yeah. You definitely have delayed reactions to things anyway and I think like you say if you're a drinker like if something's happened like the other day I rang you did I Alex I was on my way to work and my my real dad yeah complicated, complicated. yeah well but I know I nearly went there and I don't have to <laughs> well yeah my real dad um guiding my first year of being sub so it was just like two years ago and I was driving to work the other day and I rang Alex and I went I've just realised that my dad's feet are never going to touch this earth again. And it was like, I know it sounds really weird, but it was like all of a sudden it just hit like I saw a work van and it must have triggered that feeling of my dad. And then I just thought, oh, my God, he's not here. So I'd never bump into him. He's He's not even on this planet anymore. And then at one time that would have caused me for that night maybe to feel a little bit sad or whatever and I would have gone and drank so to even sit with that feeling and so we get them delayed reactions all the time I think but it's learning like you said Ben to to just sit with them whether they be happy or sad or it, it's proper like growth in it this sobriety it can be <laughs> it's not always easy which actually brings me on to what I wanted to ask you what was what was the hardest part do you think about quitting it's an interesting one um I, I, I find that hard because mine was my quitting was really controlled because I was yeah. in trouble and I, I, I get asked that a lot and it's kind of you know, it, it, there was no chance for me to do anything different. I mean, it was all hard, don't get me wrong. But after the week one of getting over that I'm going to be here for X amount of time, it's like you, I think I think in my head I made the switch that I wanted to just make the most out of it. When you realise that this isn't just, you know, 
like a very restricted Butlins holiday. It's like, this is actually to change your life. You all of a sudden take on a very serious aspect of, okay, I'm going to love my time here with the people that I'm with. Cause you just learn from everyone. That's one of my favorite things about it. Um, but also you just take stuff seriously. Like you make sure you're there at the sessions and you make sure that you're present and you enjoy the meetings and you, I don't know, but that, I guess that, that was once that click had been made, then it was, it was almost easy. It was like, I was just all in, but the hardest bit was, was getting there because I was definitely an unruly teenager for the first week. Just like, no, I don't want that. Don't give me that. Um, because I didn't want to be there. Um, and it was, I didn't want to be there for a week of it. And it was, it was horrible. I was probably a right asshole, but they didn't let me leave. So <laughs> that's good. You could go back. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you could go back then to that unruly, I don't want to be here and say something to help him and to know that it was going to be okay. What, what would you say? Do you think? I know that's quite a difficult one. <laughs> And it's difficult. I mean, it, it's... Stop yeah. being a naughty boy, that's what you'd say. <laughs> I just think it's really good to know what you'd say because, you know, there might just be somebody listening that might, it might make that click for. No pressure, Ben. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Da, da, da. Um, I it's so tough because it's so hard to... What, how I always think about this is it's, it's just... I know how hard it is to listen to anything in that situation. You don't want to hear anything. And the fact of the matter is, if I had just opened my ears a bit earlier and even related to one thing, I think, while I was there or stopped being that brat for just a day, it would have made a difference. And I think beforehand, you know, it's the same thing. It's I almost felt, I think the reason why I'm speaking out so much is just purely because I guess at the time when I had an issue... I think relatability is what I'm getting at because everyone in the rehab bar one person was twice my age. And it's very hard for young people, I think, to grasp that where they're at in their addiction and how far they can, do you know what I mean? Because you seem invincible. I certainly thought I was. And that's definitely the feeling that I had in that first week was I'm so young. I don't need to be here. Why am I here with these old people? They've got a problem. I don't. Yeah. And the more that I then listen to them and it's like the guy next to me is 60 and he's telling me how he went down to Sainsbury's and he was really pissed off the other week because they didn't let him have vodka at 8am. I'm like, I did that. What? You can't be doing that. I did that. And he's like, yeah, we're not so different, you and I, Ben. And I was like, and I ended up being best friends with the bloke. And it's like, he was doing everything that I did, but I'm half his age. And then it, you know what I mean? It's like, relatability is a tough thing because you don't see someone in front of you that's the same age but actually if you just open your ears and listen you'll find that there's a lot of people who are like you but also have made the change not not to be like you 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 know when you just said something then it really struck me that you were half the guy's age like you could look at that in a really negative way if you wanted to couldn't you like it's not fair I've only had half the time of fun that he's had but actually you've got twice the gift of sobriety now it's, and that's exactly what everyone in there said was like I wish that I'd nailed it when I was in my 20s yeah they fucked up their relationships their kids their you know I sit here incredibly I can be more grateful that I don't have kids right now and that I don't have you know any dependents because 
I've got that ahead of me and I know I can do that with a real straight head and I know I'm not going to fuck any of it up. But, you know, for those guys, a lot of, a lot, and almost actually, a lot of their problems were brought around by the fact that they were letting their family and everyone down. So they carried on to numb that yeah. and you cycle. And I think although I was in a cycle, but I was in the, you know, cycle of work sucks, friends suck. Like they're in a cycle of my kid hates me and my wife wants to leave me. And it's like, that's why I know I'm speaking a bit out of turn there, but that's why I'm so happy that I didn't have that. And actually it's almost like if I'd have played the tape forward when I was 27 to when I'm 34, still in that state, I certainly, well, I don't think I'd be here, but I, you know, it's not even worth thinking about. So that that's such an amazing way of like looking at it. Can I ask you something just really like just out of nosiness? <laughs> you know, with when you said you had the psychosis, so that was obviously like withdrawal induced psychosis, wasn't it? With that, do you remember it now? Do you kind of look? Have you been told that's how you behaved, or do you remember it? I don't remember any of it. No, I remember like I've got flashes of the room that I was in and I remember where I stood to have cigarettes and I remember looking out at the car park swirly staircase mm-hmm. thinking I'm going to climb up that and then that's what will get me over the motorway but I don't remember anything else I mean my, so my mum's told me that you know the after I ran out the first time basically I ran out a second time because the guy over the bay basically ratted me out for having vodka and I was pissed off. So I decided to go out again, but that time I didn't quite make it back. And I ended up, I actually pulled the IVs out my arm. So I was bleeding. Um, and a cab driver picked me up and took me, took me home, which I've always said, if he's ever listening to any of these, I am forever grateful because mm-hmm. he dropped me back at my mum's and then they took me back to hospital. So I, I, it's almost like I can picture in my head, me doing it, but I, I remember bits like I remember being dropped off at home and my mum looking at me in tears just going what, what, what is going on like why are you here we left you in hospital so no not really and so you don't remember that you thought you were in an office writing on a whiteboard you, you've just been told that yeah um, scary, isn't it it's a bit you know like looking back now it's kind of scary what this legal drug can be allowed to get us to Oh, I mean, if people, you know, people think almost like that. I mean, the blackouts are scary, right? Where we don't know where we've been. But yeah. you, you, even even when you're absolutely slaughtered, you still have some sense of you is still alive, right? This is like if you think that's scary. So I mean, psychosis uh, just another level because you're very much like you know when you black out, you're tired, or your mind just shuts down because it's like too much alcohol. Psychosis, like I'm still very much alive. So I've got the I've got the power to leave anywhere, go across the motorway, go to here, get in a cab, do this, but I have zero recollection. That is scary. Yeah. Right. It is scary and blackouts for me, you know, like I mean I was a blackout drinker. And blackouts for me. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how I know this because I don't have the memories, but I know that I knew what I was doing at the time. Yeah. I don't remember it, but I, I know I would have known what I was doing. Surely. Well, that's what I believe anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And you never get those memories back. And so, like, you know, you don't know what you did, who you were with, what you were saying. It is really terrifying to think that you can actually be that out of control, even if it's just minutes. Exactly. And, you know, down the line, it's like I, I've gotten, I remember, like, most things. But to be honest, it there's... 
there's no doubt it's affected my memory. I was talking to my best mate the other day and he's like, oh yeah, do you remember this, this, this? And I'm like, no. Do you remember? <laughs> like you, Lisa. <laughs> no. You know what? You've just made me think though, Ben. Looking back right through my teenage years, I have had people for years come up to me and said, do you remember that when we did this or do you remember that? And I have always said no and I put it down to having a bad memory. And you know what? I've, I did. I drank a lot as a teenager. Like every weekend, we would go out drinking. So I'm literally. This has just come to me. Must have forgotten because I was blacking out even as a teenager. I was forgetting because I genuinely don't remember things. And Alex does it to me all the time. Do you remember that? She makes stuff up half the time. I just go, yeah, yeah. You do. (laughs) I know. I know she does, right? Because sometimes I sit there going, yeah, yeah, that. This is how I know I don't because she doubts doubts herself. Look at her like looking out. I was blacking out. Oh no, she's making it up. She's making that bloody Punch and Judy, isn't it? I know it's it's bad, isn't it? But you know what? I do want to say, Ben. I I genuinely, I'm really, really in awe of you. I I think you've done so amazing, and especially at your age. And I know you said other people said that to you all the time, but I genuinely do wish that I'd stopped drinking early especially in my 20s like I was 30 when it made started to change and I started to binge drink a lot more and to think now looking at you that you had that to come it would break my heart it honestly it would so I just think you've got so many amazing times to come and I just think your family must be so proud of you as well because god I bet they went through some with you and your 30s are like so good like can't imagine what they'd have been like sober. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm about to find out. <laughs> yeah, you oh, are. I'm back. And then and enjoy them. Did um, are your family dead proud of you now? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, of course. I think there was. It's 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 strengthened our relationships all around. There's no doubt. I mean, I th- I, I feel like I'm still. Making up is the wrong word, but I know towards the end when I was, I basically, when I was the heaviest was, I was just getting passed back and forth to mum and dad's house. Like they're, they're yeah. separate. So we'd meet at a service station. I'd go back with dad, meet there a week later. I'd go back with mum purely because neither could handle me full time. Because honestly, they had to literally care for me full time. Like mum had to walk behind me like this, going up the stairs to bed because I could fall over at any point. Like, Oh God, it must have been horrible for me. Like I'd be eating and just I'd go head first in it because my body would just go enough today. Um, and you know the one of the worst lines is my mum said she was like honestly like I opened your bedroom no she said I couldn't open your bedroom door anymore every morning anymore because I didn't know. If oh. you and it's like not there as in physically as in whether I was like because the doctor said if he carries on like this his body is going to pack in. Yeah, uh, and that to me is like. I mean, my mum, you know, my parents are my rock, but my mum is, you know, my true best friend. And it's like, I'm a huge mama's boy. But um, so to put her through that, I think, you know, was, it hurts me the most, I think. Um, and to have the relationship we do now is the biggest gift, obviously. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's important to have someone in your family that you can really open up to about it, like, she, she's still got questions to this day and we still talk about stories. And that's why I know so much about the times I can't remember is because we can have that openness. Whereas 
my dad is someone that is immensely proud of me, but yet because his brother died of alcoholism, so he's not so open about it. And I have to respect that and that's fine. But I know, you know, given this, he's obviously super proud. So for a while, both of them realized that they might not have a son. So I think we're all, we're all quite proud of ourselves. Yeah, you oh, should you know, be as I well. I'm proud of you as well. Like, and I know we've not known each other for very long, but I do feel like we've kind of followed your journey from quite early on and just watched you kind of take this in your stride. You really have. And I guess I want to finish on this question, unless Lisa's got anything else she wants to ask after it. But as a young man, how is sobriety? I mean, what's there not to like? Uh, <laughs> it's. It's just so hard to, I mean, it's so hard to describe because it's just a complete flip. It feels like, it's like I just have control and it's like I, you know, I can dream again, I can plan again because I'd always make plans, I could never stick to them. I'd always try and have goals, I'd never stick to them. It was almost like life before and, I, you know, I'm not saying this lightly, it was just one huge disappointment. And people go, I oh, don't know, but you had good times. It's like, yeah, but underlying everything was just this disappointment that actually you couldn't do anything. I couldn't plan to move house. I couldn't plan to go on holiday because one, I probably wouldn't make it there. And two, I never had the money to do it. And it just feels, you know, the phrase, get your life back. But it's like so much more than that because I'm so grateful for the fact that I've got it back. Do you know what I mean? For almost that feeling of, you know, just thankful for everything and thankful that my body didn't give in too soon and thankful for this makes you just, I just wholeheartedly appreciate everything that, that comes at me. So mm. yeah, it's very easy to sit here and go, life's great, but truly it's like, it's, it's just kind of what I'm capable and able to feel and do really. You're amazing. <laughs> where people can Can't wait you for and- Oh, you froze then, Lisa. Sorry. I know, my internet's naff. Sorry. Um, yeah, before we... I, ju- I just think you're just such an inspiration and people need to hear your story and see that... I know it's like a term we do recover, but you are that, like... you. We do, and you're the... What's the word I'm looking for? Like the Shining example. In my head, shining example. <laughs> <laughs> boy, love it. Yeah, like a poster boy for sobriety. No, do you know what I mean? Like a shining example. No, that's old woman. Old women would say that. But you know oh, what thanks. I mean? Like people need to see you and and see like the difference because your story is just incredible of where you were and he- looking at you now. Like I can't even imagine that then. I can't imagine you like that. And I just think it's incredible. So yeah, now you can tell us where people can find you. Yeah, where they can find you, follow your blog and, and you know, join you on your journey because you are such an inspiration. Thank you. Um, well, you can read my blog at beyondthebottle.net, not .com. I always get that wrong. Um I presume you'll tag me on Instagram, will you? Yeah. That's covered. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it, to be honest. Just we'll, we'll put your links on and your tags on. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Ben. Honestly, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. And I think everybody will get a lot from this. I hope so. Yeah, it's oh. been lovely talking to you. Thank you again for joining us. Oh, of course, anytime. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. We'll chat this. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>